40. Rocky Rocky. All right, if you all can find, hello, if you all can find the first chapter of Matthew, first chapter of Matthew, ladies, I'm going to shoot you, no, I'm not, in Christian love, <laughs> let me just take the, take a little bit of time here with you. To look at the first chapter of Matthew, uh, everybody kind of glances over this rather than really looking at it because it's just a bunch of names. And for most of us in the Western world, this is not a big deal. Now, my older brother is a freak about the barrier name, Berrier. And so he went all over Europe and looked up the barrier name and chased our name in tax archives and everything, all the way back to the 11th century. And uh, he found out that there are four different coats of arms in our family, but three of those coats of arms are, are spurious. There's only one real one, and he found the right one. And he ended up writing a book on the family, the Barrier family. And both of us that read it really enjoyed it. Uh, he and I read it. That was it. <coughs> But he's, uh, you know, he really wanted to see about, about our family. But most people in the Western world, we can't trace our family back. You know, some of us look up our family tree and then hush it up, you know, because you got a horse thief or something back in there. But um, the Jews had, had to know where everybody came from. You had to know what tribe you were in. And every Jew knew his background and usually knew several names in lineage all the way back. When the Messiah came, it was absolutely essential that they be able to trace him back to David and back to Abraham. And so Matthew's lineage based on many Old Testament lineages, is the lineage of Jesus to show that he came from Abraham and from David. Because these are the two. Abraham, God made a promise that there would be a seed that would bless all the peoples of the, of the world. Genesis chapter 12. And then David, 2 Samuel 7 God tells David there will always be a king ruling on his throne. And we, we don't know who that king is at that time. But later, David wrote Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 tells us who that king is. Do you remember Psalm 110, verse 1? One of the most unique statements in the Bible. It says, The Lord said to my Lord... Sit at my right hand. The Lord said to my Lord. 
And you have two Hebrew names for Lord there. One is, the first one is Yahweh, the Father. The second is Adonai, the Son, the human figure of God. And so David knew that the one sitting on his throne is the one who was sitting also on God's throne. David had amazing insight. And so the Messiah had to be both before and after David. He was David's Lord, but he was also David's son. If you want to read about that, read Matthew, Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 44. Jesus uses Psalm 110 to prove that he is David's son and David's Lord. And the, the Pharisees up to that point had been asking him questions, but after Jesus asked them whose, whose son is the Messiah, they said, son of David, everybody knows that. And Jesus said, oh, how then could David call him Lord? And he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. How can he be his son if he's his Lord? And it says, the next line in Matthew says, after that no one dared to ask him any more questions. I call it the question to end all questions. You know, so the Messiah in the lineage of Matthew had to come from the lineage of David and of Abraham. Now let me say one more thing. The Jews today cannot tell you what their lineage is. Since 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed, all the genealogies of all the families of Israel were in the temple. And the temple was burned by the, the son of Vespasian, the emperor of Rome, Titus. If you look up Titus, the Arch of Titus, and Google the Arch of Titus, and you'll see a picture of a great, huge, five-story arch that's built in Rome, downtown Rome. Maybe some of you have been there. On the front of it, it has a, a picture of Jews carrying the 12-pronged candlestick of Moses, carrying the table of showbread, and carrying the Torah into Rome as captives from the 70 A.D. massacre in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was totally annihilated in 70 A.D. by the Romans. They, bl they blotted out the Jewish state. They ended the Jewish religion for all time. You can still be a Jew, but you cannot obey the law because you have no place to offer sacrifice today. I don't know why they're still Jews. But I, I know, too, that from studying the Old Testament that they didn't believe back then either, so... It's not real surprising that they don't believe today. But they're the most incredible people. The Jewish people, you have to admire them. They're less than, well, less than one half of the world's population, less than one half of one percent of the world's population. But they have, they have won two-thirds of the Nobel Prizes that have been handed out. They've earned them. They worked for them. So the temple's destruction ended the possibility of knowing, knowing your genealogy. You can't know your family tree because all the records were destroyed in 70 A.D. So this had to be written before the temple was destroyed. So here's the genealogy of Jesus. I want you to just kind of glance at it. 
If you looked at Old Testament genealogies, you might find one woman, maybe two, in some genealogies. Usually it's because these were really evil women, you know. And that's why they're mentioned in the genealogies. Like in Cain's genealogy, you have one woman named Naamah. And the rabbis say she was an evil woman. But look at the genealogy of Jesus here. And what you have, look at verse 17. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the Babylonian captivity or the exile. And 14 from the exile to the Messiah. 14 is the number of salvation. It is 2 times 7. There are three sets of 14. Three is the signature of God. So 3 times 14, Jesus means God, God's salvation. That's why there's three sets of 14. The number 3 is God. The number 14 is salvation. Three sets of 14. Now, if you study out these genealogies, if you study this back in the Old Testament, you'll see that Matthew left out some names on purpose because he wants it to be three sets of 14 to say Jesus is God's salvation. The name Yeshua, Jesus, means the Lord will save. The angel said he will save his people from their sins. So start looking with Abraham there and start looking for women's names. You, got, you know how many men? You got 14 times 14, I mean 14 plus 14 plus 14. 42 men. How many women? There are five. Five is a number of grace. See, under Christ, men and women are equal. Under grace, we're equal. And there are five women because of grace. And he knows the meaning of the numbers. I mean, this is Matthew, you know, he's a priest. He knows what every number stands for. And so, look who they are. Verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. You know the story of Tamar? She married Judah's oldest son. He died without children. And the law of leverant marriage says you must marry the brother. So she married the second brother. And he died without children. And then Judah said when, when the third son, whose name is Perez, when he grows up, I'll give you to him, and he'll be your husband. So she waited, and she waited, and she waited, and Perez grew up, and Judah never did what he said. So Tamar dressed up like a prostitute and stood in front of one of the Canaanite temples where they worship fertility, worship sex, and Judah comes by, and she's wearing a veil. Prostitutes wore veils. And so Judah comes by, he sees her, and he, he wants to have sex with her. So he goes in and has sex with her. 
and promises her that he'll send her a goat out of his flock. You know, that's, that's the payment. She says, well, until you do that, would you leave your, your seal and your staff with me? And he says, okay, because she knew he didn't keep his word, see. So she didn't figure he'd really send a goat later on. So she kept the staff and the seal, and when she is found to be pregnant out of wedlock, somebody told Judah, and he said, bring her out and burn her to death. And then she came out and showed him his staff and his seal, and he said, oops. <laughs> well, that's, that's barrier translation. He actually said, he actually said, you're more righteous than I am. You know, she is more righteous than I. And so she had these two kids, and here they are, Perez and Zira, and Tamar, this woman who dressed like a prostitute so she could have sex with her father-in-law, you know, and have children. Verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You know who she is. Rahab is a madam. She ran a house of prostitution in Jericho. She herself lived in the wall of Jericho with her family. The name Rahab, it's a, I'm telling you folks, Hebrew is a picture language. The name Rahab means enlarged. And, you know, it's a sexual image. Um, and here she is in the lineage of Jesus. And then the next one right under that, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Here's a woman. There are two women whose names are attached to Bible books. Ruth and Esther. Esther, beautiful, amazing. Esther means star, and she was a star of Persia. Ruth means friend, but Ruth was a Moabitess. Remember who Moab and Ammon are? Remember how they were born? You do remember. When Lot escaped Sodom's destruction, his wife died, you remember, when the pyroclastic cloud caught her. her two, his two daughters were still with him, and they settled in a cave. And the oldest daughter, the older daughter, told the younger one, I'll have sex with Dad tonight. Let's get him drunk. I'll have sex with him tonight. You have sex with him tomorrow night. So they got him drunk two nights in a row. Lot didn't know when they lay down or when they got up. They, he didn't know what was going on. And she, he got both of them pregnant. And Moab and Ammon are born, and Ruth is from Moab. She is offspring of incest. And then go down a little farther. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, her name's Bathsheba. She's not mentioned by name, but Uriah is. And this points out the sin of David. Bathsheba wasn't her fault. But she was an adulteress, and David was a, an adulterer and a murderer. And here she is in the lineage of Jesus. She's the mother of Solomon. 
And if you read down a little bit farther, that's 4, down to verse 18, or 16, I'm sorry, verse 16. Jacob is the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. I believe she was a very holy woman, a very pious young woman. But she was pregnant out of wedlock, and the early church never mentions that pregnancy. Only Matthew and Luke point out that she was a virgin and she became pregnant and that it was from God. But nowhere in all the writing of Paul or anywhere else in the New Testament is it ever referred to. Only Matthew and Luke. I believe that it it might have been an embarrassment both to Mary and to the early church. Uh, There's no reason for it to be because after all, it was God who was the father of her child. But the fact that she was pregnant out of wedlock, and here she is, the mother of Jesus Christ, um, never mentioned after Acts chapter 1, never mentioned in the New Testament. She also allowed culture to superstition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. The good thing about this genealogy to me is that it shows me that God can use anybody. And he will. Maybe that's all he had to work with. That is. I mean, Maybe sinners... The best that he had. That, yeah, sinners are the best he had to work with. That's right. That's a good point. And, you know, he can work with us, and we're sinners. Okay, any comments or questions? Mickey. How old was Mary? One of the popular movies that came out not long ago said she was 12 years old. Quite probable. I think she was very young. In the East, older men buy younger women. And in, in the Jews, it was the same way. You know, Joseph was older, I mean, apparently, because he died before Jesus was in his ministry, but Mary was there hale and hearty in his ministry. Several times she appears in his ministry. Um, Mary is one of my heroes. You know, here's a woman who tried to tell Joseph she was engaged to him, and he knew he hadn't had sex with her, and he had thought she was a pure, a pious girl. But here she is pregnant. What's he going to do? Well, he doesn't want to embarrass her, so he's going to put her away privately, Matthew tells us. He's going to do it in a hidden way so nobody will know. Isn't that amazing? And when Mary is six months pregnant, no, I'm sorry, when Elizabeth, her cousin, is six months pregnant, that's when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. Elizabeth is old. And I think Mary is very young. You know, there's a theory under one of the one of the ancient uh, philosophers from uh, the third third century that Mary it was her first period. It would have been her first period when she became pregnant. Now we don't know that, of course, but that's an interesting theory 
that here's a young woman, and this young woman, folks, is filled with Scripture. You read Luke's Gospel? You know Mary's Magnificat? The incredible stringing together of eclectic Scriptures from the prophets and the Psalms and the law over and over and over, just one thing after another. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit glorifies God, my Creator. And she just goes on and on and on and talks about her lowest state and the fact that He chose her. I think she was an amazing person. That was a good question. I think she was very young. And Joseph was probably older. The one unbeliever Jesus appeared to in his 40 days was his younger brother James, who was really a half-brother. John says his brothers didn't believe in him. And Jesus didn't want to lose his own family. So he went in his 40 days of appearing to all these witnesses He showed one unbeliever that he was alive. And boy, that's all it took. The book of James in the New Testament. uh, His brother Jude also in the New Testament. And James became a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. One of the leaders in in the 15th chapter of Acts who drafts a letter to the Gentile churches. So it was a good choice for him to go see his brother. Can you imagine? Growing up with a... You had an older brother. Four of them. I only know one. Can you imagine your oldest older brother saying, by the way, I'm the Messiah? You know, I can say, oh, sure, we believe that. Yeah. Yeah, probably. What other questions or comments you have, folks? Uh, yes, she was. She was, she was really uh, uh, spoken well of by God because of her faith. She believed that Yahweh was going to conquer the whole Holy Land, and so she hid those spies in some bundles of flax on her roof. And when the guys came looking for them, the army, you know, said, "There's spies here," you know. We, You had some spies come into your house of prostitution. She said, oh, you know, they were here, but they headed for the Jordan. And so the army heads off for the Jordan, and she goes up and tells those guys, and they head south. Uh, And so she is commended by God for her faith. So you can be anything and have faith, and you'll be commended by God. I, I love what... You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. Uh, It's really not a book. It's a series of TV uh, sermons that he did. Uh, I mean, uh, radio sermons that he did back in the 40s and the 50s. And C.S. Lewis says, quoting Paul, that there is an eternal weight of glory that we will have. And he says, it'll be like a master coming home and his old lazy dog's been lying out in the sun all day. And the master comes out and pats him on the head and said, you're a good dog. And he just wags his tail. He said, that's the way it's going to be in the judgment when God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. There'll be no false modesty. I think we'll be humble like a dog before the master. 
Well, proof that Jesus is the Messiah chased all the way back from Abraham through David. Have you studied the genealogy of Luke? He starts with Adam. Yeah, it's completely different. He starts with Adam, and he comes down probably to the other side of the family. I think Matthew is to Mary because he's writing to Jews. The mother the mother makes you a Jew, you know. And perhaps Luke wrote to explain where his father, uh, you know, his, what would you call that? Not really his father, where Joseph came from. What else? Anything else? You know, in the 5th century, when they were trying to decide whether Jesus was 100% human, 100% divine, and they were struggling with the nature of Jesus, somebody said that Mary was the mother of God. In the 5th century. And that opened the door to all this stuff. And so, you know, the mother of God teaching goes way back. And when you say that she's the mother of God, well, she becomes the queen of heaven. She becomes co-redeemer with Jesus, uh, co-redemptrix, they call her, with Jesus, uh, that she also died on a cross. Supposedly, she was taken to heaven as a perpetual virgin. And so that would, a a perpetual virgin, and that would mean that Joseph already had James and Jude and the others as another family, and his wife had died before he married Mary, and then they never consummated the marriage, which is just so foreign to the New Testament. It just makes no sense. But to be a Catholic, you have to believe Mary is a perpetual virgin, that she is co-redeemer with Jesus, uh, that she is the queen of heaven, and you also have to believe that when, when the priest utters certain words at the communion, that that actually turns it into the body and blood of Christ. It's called con- uh, transubstantiation, where you've changed the substance of what it is. Hey, my view is the Bible says, this is my body, this is my blood. That's good enough for me. I believe that when a Christian takes communion, we should see in that the body and blood of Jesus. And I don't try to philosophize it or understand it. I just believe it. See, I haven't heard, uh, I, I was a Catholic of sorts, you know, but I've never heard a teaching that she was co redeemer. Yeah, that, now, that's heard, recent. I've heard, uh, you know, that about it actually turns into the body and blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When exactly it was, because my sister, oh my sister was such a staunch Catholic, you know, and she would insist that in this particular place, when they, when they bless the communion uh, element, that actually turned into bleeding flesh. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just faith. And uh, when people want to believe something, when they're told to believe something, they will believe it. Let, let me make one more comment before you all Don you have a question 
Boy, if he was ever going to say something good about Mary, that was the place. They do. But you see what Jesus said? Blessed rather is whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. You know, so if he's going to bless Mary, there was the chance, but he missed it. You blew your chance, Jesus. <laughs> I may have talked about this to you before, but let me just show you. In, in Judaism, their bread was triangular. The matzah, when they made the, the breads for uh, the Passover, they would fry it in olive oil. And it was, of course, unleavened. So they would turn it and fry it. Didn't add any yeast to it. Didn't have a chance to rise. And they would stack them on top of each other facing opposite directions. And that's called the Mogan David, the shield of David. And when they cooked this bread in the triangle shape, which we Christians would say, well, that's, that's God, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They now make them round because it bothered them that Christians would say, well, the triangle is a symbol for God. But they would pierce it with a fork and stripe it when it was cooking. I just am amazed at that. Jesus took this and said, this is my body. Pierced and striped and broken for you. Uh, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. I'll let you go. Father, thank you so much for each person that's here. And thank you for your word. And I pray as we study, we will grow. That glory and honor will be brought to you because we were here today. In Jesus' name, amen. What time tomorrow? Nine o'clock.